with you. Turn to the book of 2 Kings chapter 18. 2 Kings chapter 18. Very grateful for every one of you. Very grateful for the church family. I've heard many of you say that about others in these, in these weeks and months um, as, as uh, some of you have experienced great loss and some of you have experienced great uh, hardship in, in one way or another for any number of things. It could be any, any year, that, but you faced it. And so many times I have heard this comment, I don't know what I would do without the Lord and without my church family. And I'm very grateful. And I, I just speak now to some of those who are listening, who, are, who are, are gathering together, and some perhaps who may be some distance away, and you're not a part of a church. Some of you have been tuning in. We're very grateful for that. But I encourage you to become a part of a church in your community. If you're visiting here today, you're from someplace else. When you get back to that community, become a part of a body of believers. Be very prayerful and careful about selecting which church that is. They must preach that there is salvation in no one other than Jesus Christ and a relationship with Him. But I encourage you to be involved in a, in a, in a church, in your community, because it is, that that will, uh, it is that fellowship of believers that will strengthen you like no other. And um, in the Lord, in the Lord. 2 Kings chapter 18, one year is, of course, 12 months. One year is 52 weeks. One year is, to be precise, 365 and one quarter days it takes for the earth to circumnavigate the sun, right? You understand this. One year. One year to a five-year-old seems like an eternity, but one year to an 85-year-old, well, that's just a fraction of their life. And many of you know this as well as I do, that the older you get, the faster the years go. Amen? Uh, the, the, the years now seem like months when I was, I mean, they just go so fast. But if someone is diagnosed with a terminal disease or a terminal illness, just one year is an incredibly valuable time. And incredibly, I, um, I do not have a, I just realized I felt wetness here. And I apologize. This is my water bottle spreading out here. And okay, cut the camera, right? Um, <laughs> I'm feeling this is wet here. And, and it's, this is what happens when you hold the thing against you right there. And it drips down. All right. I can't even blame this on Pastor Brad. I just don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> Do we still have that pulpit that was, you know, the big wooden thing? Do we have that? All right. Where was I? All right. <laughs> to a person who is uh, diagnosed with a terminal disease, can, can you imagine the value of one year? The value of one year. been said that a person would trade all of their wealth and everything that they have for one more day of time. What would a person do for one more year? A person with a terminal illness, a person who has been given a, a 
period of time in which they're going to live is suddenly uh, sees things differently. 2 Kings chapter 18 gives the account of a man who was terminally ill. His name was Hezekiah. Now, Hezekiah is not a book of the Bible. He was a king. Hezekiah was the king of the Jewish nation of Judah. Uh, an interesting thing, if, you, if you're at all familiar with the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, the kingdom, the Jewish nation was divided at this point. Uh, the, the kings of Israel were all evil, but the kings of Judah, that is the southern kingdom, the kings of Judah, you would have one like absolutely wretched king, evil to the extreme, and then you would have the next king, their son or a grandson, uh, who would be a, a rather godly person. And it really doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. You'll have one wicked and then, and then the next one godly. And then that godly thing, you would think that they would instill in their children, but no, that next one is wicked. And it kind of goes back and forth uh, like that for really the duration of their history. A lot of interesting personalities there, but some of them wicked, some of them very, very godly. Hezekiah's father had been uh, an extremely corrupt and evil king. He, he rejected Jehovah and worshiped false gods. When he died, when Hezekiah's father died and Hezekiah became king, 2 Kings chapter 18 verse 3 says this, he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight just as his ancestor David had done. So right there, that, just that statement says a great deal about this man named, this king named Hezekiah. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. You know, if, if, if there's only one thing that can be said of you in your life is that you're pleasing to God, that isn't too bad, is it? You're pleasing to God. And he was pleasing to God. He was, he, he, he was pleasing in the Lord's sight. In verse 4, it says this new king, Hezekiah, uh, stopped the pagan practices of his father and destroyed the, the pagan idols. In verse 5, it goes on to say that he trusted in the Lord. That's a quote. He trusted in the Lord. In verse 6, it says he held fast or clung to the Lord. Uh, this was a very, very good man. I'm giving you just a little background on this man. He did right in God's sight. He trusted in the Lord and he clung to the Lord. I, someday, I'm going, when we're in heaven together, I'm going to meet Hezekiah and I'm going to say, you're the guy I read about in 2 Kings chapter 18. You're the guy who was pleasing in God's sight, who, who did the right things and who, who, who clung closely to the Lord, didn't, didn't stray away from you. Because of this, Verses 7 and 8 tell us God was with him. He prospered in everything that he did. Foreign powers didn't restrict his nation like had happened with his father's kingdom. And their enemies were repeatedly defeated. Hezekiah, all of that to say this, Hezekiah was a great man. Hezekiah was a godly man. Hezekiah, in the first 14 years of his reign, was an extremely effective man. And you would think that a God-faithful leader like that would live a very, very long life. You would think that with a history with so many bad kings, the good ones should last a long time. Like, you know, the bad kings, oh, they last about six months, and the good ones last about 60 years. But that's not what happened here. Because in chapter 20, go, go forward a couple chapters, in chapter 20, at just 39 years of age, and by the way, that's very young, regardless of where you are. Let me tell you, it's very young. 
at just 39 years of age after serving as king for only 14 years. Verse 1 of chapter 20 says this, In those days Hezekiah became sick and he was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Now, now put yourself in Hezekiah's place. That would be some really hard news. The man of God, Isaiah, the prophet of God, comes to you. I mean, you're sick already, but he comes to you, and you think, okay, I'm going to get better. And the, the man of God is here, but instead, Isaiah, the prophet of God, says, get your house in order. You're going to die. You will not recover. Boy, that would get your attention, wouldn't it? And suddenly, at 39 years of age, with much of his life before him, everything going well, kingdom doing well, now he's, he's given a timeline. Get your house in order. You're going to die. How would you respond? How would you respond if someone told you, you're never going to see the outside of this room again. You're going to die. Maybe you would do what Hezekiah did. Verses 2 and 3 of chapter 20 says this, Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. I can relate to that. Hezekiah essentially did three things. He prayed, he reflected, and he wept. He ran to God. Please notice this. He, he prayed to the Lord. He didn't turn his fist to God. He didn't say, how dare you? He prayed to God. He reflected over his life, and he wept. I think that's kind of what a lot of people I know would do. You'd run to Jesus. You would remember over your life, reflect on it. And then you'd probably, maybe along with someone very, very close to you, you would cry. That's what Hezekiah did. Hezekiah did all of these things. And then, and then it says, though, that Isaiah the prophet, it, we won't read all of the text, but it says Isaiah the prophet began to leave the room, but God spoke to Isaiah again. This is the second time. God told him to return to Hezekiah's deathbed. Go back to where he is and tell him this. And it says this in chapter 20, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord and I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Wow. I mean, talk about a change. Why did this happen? Not really sure why God at first, through the prophet, says, you're going to die, get your house in order. But then God, it's not that I don't think that God had a change of heart. I think he wanted Hezekiah to have a change of heart. He wanted him to realize the severity of this. And then God, with a greater plan, says, now here's the rest of the story. He says, now you're, gonna, you're not only going to survive this disease, you are going to live another 15 years. Still not very old. That would make him 54. But God said, I'm going to give you 15 more years. The death sentence is still there. You're going to die someday, but you've got 15 years. 
God went on to confirm his word with a miracle, and he added 15 years to his life. Now that day, Hezekiah's body was healed, but his life was transformed. God's presence and God's power was made more real to him. You see, that's going to happen. When you're facing eternity and, 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 and you, you're seeing life slip away and God suddenly shows up and says, I'm going to give you more years, you're going to realize and you're going to appreciate God's presence and power more than you did before. You see, we're more sensitive to God when we're in those dire straits, when we're in those difficult places. We're more sensitive to his voice and to his, his presence when we are in that desperate place. I don't like desperate places. I don't think you like desperate places. But it's when I'm in those desperate places that I am most in tune with him. Trusting him like never before. God's presence and power became more real to him. And his life took on greater meaning than ever before. Now, it doesn't go into detail here, but here's what I think was happening in his mind. Hezekiah is thinking, I've got 15 years. I'm still going to die. I, 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 I know that I'm not going to live forever. Sometimes kings back then, they got some weird stuff in their heads, and they would start thinking that they were like God. He realized, I'm going to die. I've got 15 years. I'm going to make it count. The Bible says that in the last 15 years of his life, Hezekiah built storehouses for essential foods. He built stockyards for livestock. He built cities and amazing public works projects. And his nation flourished under his leadership. Here's this man who is in a, a position of civic power, a, a person of great influence, of course, in his nation and in that part of the world. But he, he realized, I'm going to make the best of it. And in that role, he gave it everything he had for the next 15 years. He was still a man with a timeline, but the timeline was longer than he had first anticipated. After experiencing God's power, Hezekiah accomplished more in his final 15 years as king than in his first 14 years as king. You see, God has power to restore, but he doesn't restore someone simply to show them off as a trophy. God restores people to use people. Let me say that again because I want you to get that in your spirit. God does not simply restore us to show us off as a trophy. He restores us to use us for his glory. Hezekiah is remembered as a godly man, a godly king, an effective king, but it was all to God's glory and it wasn't to his. Every one of us, whether you're in this community, in this building, or someplace else, every one of us listening today were all once terminally ill with a disease called sin. Every one of us. We were all terminally ill with a disease called sin, except that terminal illness resulted not only in physical death, eventually, but spiritual death, and that is separation from God for eternity. I cannot think of a worse disease that is out there than people to have 
that, that, that disease called sin that is unforgiven and they're facing an eternity separated from God. I can't imagine a worse disease. Jesus said, don't fear the ones who's able, who are, who, who's able to, to kill the, the body, but fear the one who, who's able to destroy your soul. That's what sin does. It is soul-destroying. And every one of us here this morning were at one time terminally ill with a disease called sin. Here's the thing. Some listening may still be terminally ill. There are some who are listening. You, you may be listening for one reason or another. Somebody invited you. Somebody brought you. Somebody encouraged you. Somebody sent it to you. I don't know. But there may be someone listening to this message today who is right now still terminally ill with this disease called sin. And you are facing an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. That's not a word that you hear very often anymore, but it should be. Because the Bible tells us there is a heaven where God's presence is, where we can enjoy him forever to gain, and there is a hell separated from God for eternity that we are called to avoid. There's heaven and there's hell. And people who have this terminal disease called sin are bound for hell. The good news is Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, give us new life so that we can spend eternity with him. Glory to God. That's the best news. Jesus came to give life. He changes us. He restores us. He heals us and he delivers us. This morning, if you have experienced God's grace, if you have begun a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then your perspective, your outlook has changed. Jesus came in. He gave you life. He delivered you from a hopeless future. There is no greater message that I can bring that Jesus Christ saves and restores. There's no better message that I can bring. Jesus Christ saves and Jesus restores. I remember some years ago, I was in my office and I was talking with someone and they were really going through it. And I, I just asked a very simple question. I said, do, do you, have you come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? They said, well, no. We were, we were, they said, well, we were baptized when we were infants, but and we've been a part of a church, but I don't even really know what that means. And so I explained to them. That day I led both that man and that woman into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It was about six, seven o'clock at night. And, and we got done and we walked out. And they, they said, they both commented, they said, would you look at that sunset? Well, we have those about once a day here, you know, on the western horizon. And I said, yeah, I see that. They said, and, and the, the man, he said, it's never been so beautiful. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I don't know. It just looks different. He said, it's never looked so good. What happened? Uh, the, 
the terminal disease of sin was broken, was healed, and suddenly even the smallest, most relatively insignificant of things looked different. They went on to continue serving the Lord. Praise God, set them free. See, that's what happens. You start seeing things differently. Jesus came in, gives us life, delivers us from that hopeless future. Again, there's no greater message that I could bring this morning than Jesus Christ saves and Jesus Christ restores. See, our, our Lord restores. I started going through this, this last week, I was just looking through Psalms. and In Psalm 41, it tells us, and this word is used, in Psalm 41, it tells us he restores the ill. In Psalm 51, he restores the joy of salvation. In Psalm 71, he restores life. In Psalm 126, he restores fortunes. In Isaiah 57, he restores comfort. In Jeremiah 30, he restores health. In Galatians 6, he restores the sinner. In 1 Peter chapter 5, he restores those who have suffered. And in Acts chapter 3, verse 21, we are told that God will restore everything he has. As promised. He's, he's, he's a restorer. That's what he does. He doesn't just save us. He restores us. He doesn't just deliver us. He changes us. He doesn't just say marked healed, but he does something in us that then changes other people. He restores. We sang this morning, Jesus, you change something? No, Jesus, you change everything. It's what he does. Regardless of how your life has been lived to this point, Jesus the Restorer makes our remaining years among our greatest years. Regardless of how you have lived your life to this point, Jesus the Restorer makes our remaining years among our greatest years. I have known people who waited their whole life and right near the very end, even people in their 80s and in their 90s, who, who yes, there's still hope then, people even at that point coming to Jesus Christ and even the last weeks or days of their life, God begins to restore relationships. I've heard that many times. Just right at the end of their life, they give their lives to Jesus. And even in the small time remaining, God restores, God restores, God restores. Happened in my own family with my mom and my grandmother. Jesus restores. I began this message with a true story of a terminal man who received a second chance. By the way, that's also evidence of God's power. Um, in, 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 in the physical realm, when, when, as a pastor, whenever anyone um, is, is, said, is told that, that uh, uh, they have a terminal illness, my first response is, but God. In, in other words, he still heals bodies. And so I have prayed for people, and, and it, some in God's timing, yeah, he takes, but I have, I have known people. In fact, I talked with one this morning 
who, who was terminal over 20 years ago. And, and glory to God, he's still using her today. Uh, so, so not only is this uh, 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 talking about f- spiritual deliverance, but also God still heals bodies. But I, I began this, this message with the, the, the true story of Hezekiah, this, this terminal man who received his second chance. But I end it with two stories of other once terminal people that I have pastored or served uh, beside. By the way, uh, neither of which any of you know. Ray was a hippie. <laughs> Remember those? He, a hippie. I'm talking, he was, he was a bona fide flower child of the 1960s. Full-blown hippie. And all that went with it. Some of you remember that. Some of you were that. Ray's passions, at the time, Ray's passions were art and and music. And he excelled at both in the whole, you know, hippy-dippy stuff of of the 60s. Yet Ray was terminal with sin. Ray was terminal with sin. I mean, he, he, he had a death sentence upon him. He had, he had experienced other things that came with that, that whole lifestyle. But his heart wasn't right with God. He was terminal with sin. He was headed for hell in a hurry. But one day, at age, at age 20, just still a very young man, this, this Woodstock refugee who, who had sought fulfillment in so many places accepted Jesus Christ, glory to God, somebody shared the gospel with him, and his life really changed. At age 20, um, powerful encounter with God. Now, now, this was a lot of years ago, and in the 50 years since then, I was privileged to pastor this man in Minnesota. In the 50 years since then, Ray has raised a godly family. He has ministered extensively in gospel music ministry. He has influenced his community and his world for Jesus Christ. Glory to God. His later years were infinitely richer than his first years. See, God God gave him not just another 50 years. He, he, He gave him eternal life and all that comes with it. That's one example. Let me give you one more. Early in her life, Pam was physically abused and abandoned. She could barely recount some of the things that had happened to her, and quite frankly, I didn't want to hear the details of the things that had happened to her. Because of this abuse and abandonment, uh, Pam's understanding of love was incredibly skewed because the word had been misused and mislabeled and spoken in the most abhorrent of places and times. For years, Pam sought love and acceptance in, in countless places. Eventually, she entered into homosexual relationships with other women. And then Pam, later on in life, met Jesus Christ. Glory to God. 
Jesus not only saved her, he transformed her and he restored her as only our Savior can do. And for the first time in her life, for the first time in her life, Pam felt clean. (laughs) I never asked her about sunsets, but I think even for her sunsets looked better. Answering God's call on her life, she spent her last 10 years of life bringing others into restoration and salvation through Jesus Christ. Her final years were far richer than her previous years. Why? Because Jesus Christ saves and heals and delivers and restores. See, he still does it. He still does it. One year is 52 weeks, 12 months, 365 and one quarter days. It's one year. God has given us another year. Here it is. God gave us 2021. The problems of 2020 did not stop at midnight a few days ago. Would that they did, but it doesn't work that way. The challenges that were with us a few weeks ago or a few months ago are still with us. But God has given us another year. I look around And there are many of us who had people very, very dear to us who did not see 2021. Been praying for a number of you have had some empty spots at your Christmas table a few weeks ago, and uh, it's very difficult. But God has given you life. Now, here's the thing. I don't know how much longer any of us have, but I know this. He's still given me life, and I'm saying, Lord, thank you for it. It's a gift. What are you going to use it? How are you going to use me in this coming year? See, I'm not looking at 2021 and saying, oh, man, here we go again. Oh, it's going to be. I'm not looking at this year with dread. I'm looking at this year and I'm saying, God, what do you want to do in me and through me in the coming 12 months, 52 weeks, 365 and a quarter days? See, you're not done with me. You gave me another year. I might have another 15 years. I might only have another 15 minutes, but I know this. In the time that God gives me, I want to be used of him to tell other people that there is a God who saves and delivers and restores. And so thank God for it. Don't look at this year with dread. Preached on fear last. Don't look at this year with fear. Don't don't be bound and, and limited by that. I mean, that's Hezekiah early on when he turns his face to the wall and weeps, and it's like, man, there's, there's no hope. But because of 
of God's presence in our lives, there is hope. And he has a plan and a purpose for us. And if you are still fogging a mirror, if you still have breath, glory to God, praise him and be used of him in the time that you have left. At some point, Jesus is going to return. And he's going to take the entire church to be with him. We call that the rapture. Or he's going to come for us individually through death and he's going to take us to be so that one day we will all be gathered together. One way or another, we have limited time. Our time is short. And the time that we have, want to be used of him. In this first Sunday of uh, this newest year, I am... Um, I wanted to pray with you, and uh, I want to bless you. I want to, I want to just pray over you. So, if you're here this morning, uh, would you stand here in the in the in the building? If you're if you're if you're engaging with us online, and I know many are, um, then I want you to bow your heads too in this time, and uh, and I want to pray for you, so regardless of where you are. I want to pray for you. Now, Lord, in this new year that you've given us, in this, this wonderful time that you've given us, I ask your blessing upon this newest of year, the year of our Lord, 2021. That's, that's, that's what A.D. means, Lord. It's... it's Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. This is, this is your year. You've given us another year. We're breathing the, the air of a new year. and uh, It's much like the air of the old year, but, but you've given us another period of time by the way that we mark it. And I pray that in this time, you will use us for your glory. I pray, Lord, for any person who's still right now terminal with this disease called sin that is destroying their spirit, destroying their mind, destroying their body. Jesus, you're greater than that, and I pray that they would surrender their lives to you right now. Just, just to ask you, Lord, come into my heart and forgive my sins. Become my Lord and Savior. I surrender my life to you. I want to live for you, not for me anymore. I believe that you died, that you rose on that cross, you rose from the dead for me. I believe that, Lord, and I find my hope and my salvation in you. Lord, I pray that they would pray that prayer, a very simple prayer, and that you would change their lives, their perspective, that the, that the sunset would be a little brighter, that the days would look different because they have Jesus in them. Lord, thank you for this year. Thank you for the life that you've given us. Thank you for the eternal life that awaits us when this life is over. Your blessing upon my brothers and my sisters this day and this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go in the power and in the presence and the time that he's given us of the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you today.